This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined once again by my co-host, Jacob Rudner. And we are here to talk about break down, discuss, recap, whatever you want to call it. Arguably the toughest test of the season for the Florida Gators. The Gators went an hour and 15 minutes up the road to Jacksonville to take on the top-ranked two-time defending national champions, the Georgia Bulldogs, a team that had not lost a regular season game since Florida beat them, what, back in 2020? It seems like a lifetime ago. 24-game win streak coming into that game. If you followed our predictions on Swamp 247, we all picked the dogs to prevail. But I think some of us, myself especially, thought that it could be a close contest. But as it turned out, the score was quite familiar to Florida fans and the Gators as they lost by one more point to the dogs. A very similar scoreline to last season's contest. I can understand why there'd be some frustration, some belief that maybe Florida is stuck in the mud, not moving forward. But we're going to talk about some of the positives, the negatives from the game, how the dogs looked. And we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, Jacob, we talked about this being a little bit of a Georgia offense than we have seen in years past. Pass first offense, they were not riding a seventh-year quarterback. This year they were riding a first-year starter in Carson Beck, a guy from Jacksonville who Florida fans are quite familiar with, knowing that the Gators did go after him on the recruiting trail several years ago. He ends up going to Georgia waits in the wings, and has been one of the most efficient passers in the nation this season, along with Graham Mertz. We're just going to start with what Georgia's offense was able to do well. They had a lot of time in the pocket, in my opinion. Carson Beck was able to complete a lot of throws downfield. There were, you know, coverage issues for Florida, tackling issues, and some, you know, underrated guys, I think you could say, Lad McConkey. Certainly one of them. I know that Dominic Lovett came in with great statistics. He was able to do a lot of damage against this Florida defense. But this was a performance that I think led to some discouragement from Florida's defense. We've seen an up and down performance this season so far from the Florida defense. And they really did not look capable of contending with this Georgia offense. We'll start there, Jacob. Just what did you see out of what Georgia was able to do well? And how were they able to expose this Florida defense in Jacksonville. 
Yeah, well, I think Florida's defense really made things too easy for Georgia. And if you watch back in the game, Georgia didn't have to do much to put the pressure on what the Gators were trying to do and to get them out of sorts. Ten of Carson Beck's 19 completions went to either Lovett or McConkie. Uh, six of them to McConkie for 135 yards, including one touchdown in which Florida's defenders just didn't wrap him up uh, after a nice cutback and change of direction. Uh, the tackling was not there. Graham, you mentioned that you know Florida needed to put more pressure on the quarterback. We knew that that was going to be uh, a challenge just given the success that Georgia's had so far this season with its offensive line and its ability to protect the quarterback. Coming into the game, only six total sacks allowed on the season one of which was assessed blame to Georgia blockers. Uh, that quality showed its face uh, against Florida. Florida really didn't do much to get Carson Beck off of his mark. Uh, you know, Princely Uman Mielin, who's been very successful uh, at beating his assignment head-to-head, -head. we've talked about that on the podcast before, so far this season was much less successful uh, doing that against Georgia. Notably, Florida did not have a single sack. Uh, not much tackling in the backfield going on either. Just four total tackles for loss. Uh, three quarterback hits in total on the day. And that is a recipe for disaster. And Georgia proved exactly why. They were able to find a lot of openings. I don't know that they ran anything that looked terribly complex uh, you know, or, or, or challenging. They only ran for 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, Florida did versus you look at, you know, Georgia uh, and, and Georgia runs for 171, but only 4.5 yards per carry. So the per play production on the ground wasn't even that good. Uh, it really just came down to Florida being out of sorts and out of position when it needed to not be. Uh, and, and, and Georgia is a team on both sides of the ball. And we'll talk about what its defense was able to do to Florida's offense. It's a team that knows how to get you out of sorts and how to capitalize on errors. And we saw that throughout the game early and then often uh, and in a sustained way. And so, you know, I, I this was, this to me was, was really a, a breakdown, you know, defensively that we had started to maybe see in recent weeks. I, I think that there were signs that Florida's defense was having some issues when we were in Columbia two weeks ago, uh, watching Florida at South Carolina, they gave up 39 points to an offense that I really don't believe to be that great outside of its quarterback, Spencer Rattler, who's capable of making a play. But the reality, Graham, is that, you know, these performances continue to stack uh, in a way that is unimpressive. Florida does find itself, you know, on the wrong end of, of deep passes. Uh, very often they've given up as many 40-yard-plus uh, plays as any team in the SEC. Uh, only one team in the FBS has fewer of those plays allowed so far this season. So, look, I, I think we've seen a lot of improvement from Florida's defense, all things considered, going back to game one relative to what we saw last year. That being said, these last couple games, and Georgia in particular, have reminded us that just how long of a way Florida still has to go. And so, you know, th th this was one team being a clearly better, you know, group uh, than, than what it was facing. And it was apparent. And so, you know, hats off, as Billy Napier likes to say, uh, to Georgia. Hats off to Lad McConkey, the SEC Player of the Week, uh, and their offensive line. I think that those were probably the biggest areas where, uh, we saw some success. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because it, two things can be true, right? Florida's defense has made great improvements from last season. You look at third down defense, you look at uh, the statistics, just how many yards they are giving up, especially through the air. 
it, it has improved from last season and a lot of credit goes to the development of the returning players, the additions in the transfer portal, Austin Armstrong. Obviously, I still think that that was a very positive addition for Florida. But as you said, this was an indicator. It was a measuring stick of how much work the Gators still have to do to be one of the elite defenses, a team that can shut down a very, very capable offense with blue chip prospects all over the roster, playmakers, even without Brock Bowers. You know, so much was made of Brock Bowers not being in the contest, Oscar Delp stepping in for him. But you saw that it was a former three-star guy and Ladd McConkey, a guy who was rated in the thousands coming out of high school, who was able to do a ton of damage against the Gators. I think that speaks, obviously, to the system that Georgia has in place there. And it speaks to, I think, that it says a lot about, you know, Florida's young secondary and the work that they still have to do with two underclassmen back there at safety. Some guys, you know, that we've seen really not necessarily take the steps forward that we are looking for, whether it's, you know, Devin Moore, Jalen Kimber, those guys had a rough showing in my, in my mind. And I think that this was a good indication still of the work that the Gators need to do. And, you know, the pass rush going back to South Carolina, that was an issue there coming against a team that was coming off a bye week, had a chance to make some changes, some alterations to their protection. And, and you saw that Florida was really held in check against an experienced quarterback, didn't get much pressure on the quarterback, wasn't able to sack a, a guy in Spencer Rattler who had been banged up a lot this season, had allowed a lot of sacks. And that was, again, the case against Georgia. So I do think that that is a, an area of concern for Florida. I think that their defensive line overall has improved. But when you look at the lack of overall production, the lack of sacks, the inability to hit the quarterback and affect the throw, I think that that's something that is a concern for Florida moving forward when teams can get the ball out quickly and there's lapses in the coverage. This can be a, a defense that gives up a lot of yards, and I think you saw that this weekend. Now, Georgia's defense looked a little bit off from that first five minutes, right, as the Gators drive down the field once again, score in less than four minutes. And uh, we were talking to each other in the box that that looked like a very, very promising start. They Target Eugene Wilson looked like they had some creativity, knew where they were going. But after that, it just kind of all came apart for Florida. Obviously, as Billy Napier mentioned, there were mistakes. There were fourth and short situations that limited Florida's ability to keep pace with this Georgia offense. And Billy Napier said that they felt like there was a point total that they needed to hit that maybe led to some of the riskiness that you saw going forward on fourth down inside their own territory. That aside, defensively Georgia much like their offense is an absolute dominant unit in my mind and, and they put pressure on Graham Mertz throughout the afternoon you saw a pair of fumbles they were able to recover one and th this you know they were able to block a punt as well on special teams they were able to turn the tide not just with their offense and I think that their defense obviously caused a lot of problems for Florida throughout the afternoon what did you see from them defensively what did they do well that really made it tough for Florida to be as effective as they have been at times this season. Graham Mertz had one of his least efficient games. Obviously, when you face a Georgia defense like that and your run game is limited and you're playing from behind and teams are expecting the pass, it can definitely affect your accuracy and some of your numbers. But as for Georgia's defense, in your mind, what did they do well that made it so that Florida couldn't keep pace with this Georgia offense? Yeah, I mean, I I think I would I – would rephrase it a little honestly and i would say that there were areas where florida 
didn't deliver in ways that it could have to have prevented some of the issues that Florida, the Georgia's defense, excuse me, was able to cause. Um, let's start up front. I, I think that Florida's pass protection continues to be a significant issue, particularly on the right side of the line. Damian George is really struggling. Uh, this is a trend that has been in play now for a couple weeks in a row. Uh, and, you know, whether or not Florida believes that Lindell Hudson is capable of maybe stepping into that spot and, and doing, you know, a more serviceable or at least more consistently serviceable job at the position, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but just to comment on what we've seen so far and what happened in that game, the right side of the offensive line was a significant, undeniable issue. Uh, Florida has allowed more sacks than most Power 5 football teams in the country so far this season. That number remains above 8 uh, in terms of percentage of total snaps from scrimmage through Florida's performance against Georgia, in which it gave up four sacks, Graham, as you mentioned, one of which caused a very critical fumble deep in Florida's own territory, uh, and that was an issue. Now, uh, one thing that I did ask Billy Napier after the game, and I would agree with uh, the way that he responded to the question, was, you know, how would you evaluate Florida's protection within the contest? And he did point out that, yes, while some of that does fall on the performance of Florida's offensive line, so too does it fall on the ability for Florida's receivers to get open and to give Graham Mert somewhere to go with the ball. And I think that that's significant because it points us to our second very significant breakdown. And that's that Florida's offensive skill players didn't really do a great job getting open down the field, whether that's a byproduct of them being unable to or not doing what they needed to do versus Georgia's defense playing a great game. I would just venture to say it's a combination of both. And, you know, you know it, it, it kind of swings both ways over the course of a contest. But the reality is this. Graham Mertz did not have the same options downfield as he did against South Carolina that made him very successful, that he did against Vanderbilt, which made him very successful. And if you recall, Graham, he threw for six touchdowns and almost 700 yards in those games combined against Georgia. He goes 25 of 35 which is still a very respectable 74% completions, but he goes for only 230 yards, which is among his lower totals in recent weeks. And Florida really did struggle after the half to continue to move the ball through the air. And, and like you pointed out, you know, they secure just over 60 passing yards all to Eugene Wilson on their opening drive, which nets them a touchdown. And then Georgia goes on this 36 point scoring run in which Florida is unable to respond. And that's when we see things really deteriorate. I think it's interesting uh, to look at Eugene Wilson in particular, he had seven receptions outside of the opening drive, but they netted him only 13 total yards after he had 62 uh, on that opening score. Uh, you know, Ricky Pearsall was involved, but not in a way that really uh, made an impact. Six catches for 99 yards, which is, you know, statistically it's very good. Uh, but in terms of its impact, it, it just didn't get Florida to where it needed to be. And then beyond him, no other Florida player caught more than two passes from Graham Mertz, Montreal Johnson, uh, Hayden Hansen were the two who caught a pair for 14 and 19 yards, respectively. Uh, Hansen also caught a very late garbage time touchdown. And then, you know, you look at the, the, the ability to run the ball, similar issues. Florida only rushes for 4.4 yards per carry, 109 yards on 25 attempts, one score. Uh, the score came on a Graham Mertz quarterback sneak. And, you know, I, I, I will jump the gun maybe here a little bit because I, you know, I think we're going to talk about this here in a second. Uh, that only score, on the ground came on that Mertz sneak from roughly two thirds of a yard, maybe a little bit less than that out from the end zone, uh, a similar distance, or at least in the same category as a fourth down attempt that Florida took at the outset of the second quarter, in which it ran a trick play that 
you know, just to be fully transparent with those of you listening, that I found to be ridiculous. Uh, and so I think we'll uh, we'll transition there here in a second. But just a weird game, a weird game in which I, I'm not sure Florida's players did enough to put themselves in a position to win. Uh, I'm not sure that Florida's coaching staff did enough to put its offense in a position to win. Uh, and, and it turned into a, a true dismantling by that Georgia defense, which was able to really hold Florida to 13 total points, uh, you know, except for that garbage time touchdown, which I just mentioned, you get them to 20, but it's it, it, too little too late from the Gators. It was, it was seven points in the first quarter, then a whole lot of silence. Uh, and that's, you know, credit to Georgia's defense, which played a great game was very sound. Uh, but I think that there were some very clear breakdowns uh, on Florida's end, which enabled some of that greatness. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the discussion has been about the play calling. So far, everyone has talked about that fourth and short play where it snapped you know, between Graham Mertz's legs to the hands of Trevor Etienne. I can understand why people totally want to indict that play. And as you said, you know, it's easy to see it as ridiculous, but I do think there is some credence that can be given to what Billy Napier said, you know, when you're trick plays work out, you look like a genius. And when they don't work out, you can look like a fool at times. And, you know, that's not his exact quote, but I do think that that is very applicable. It's a high risk, high reward play. And when you get a little unconventional and it doesn't work out, people are going to question why you didn't just, you know, sneak it at the line when you only had to go a couple of feet. I, I do think that that is absolutely fair. There were some trick plays that I thought worked out well. You mentioned Ricky Pearsall with 99 receiving yards. One of those came on a long downfield pass on, on a flea flicker where it looks like Mertz had, you know, two guys open, Eugene Wilson open in the middle of the field and he throws to Pearsall who's open. 
and ends up picking up some more yards after the run, you know, those plays, they're going to often be forgotten about when you don't win a game. And a lot of people have called for Billy Napier to become a little bit more of a creative play caller. Let's call it that. And, you know, I can understand why there would be some frustration on the part of the coaching staff that they did attempt to get a little more creative at times. We saw the double reverses. We, we saw, like I said, I think two attempts at a flea flicker. And, you know, when you do that stuff, I, I do think if it works out, you get praised. Absolutely. But you do have to take the other side when it doesn't work out. People are going to question why you made that call. I do think that, and this is going to lead us into our, our next topic here. I do think that having to get a little creative speaks to the talent gap between the two teams. And that is something that I wrote about after the game. If you haven't read my Sunday column, check it out. I wrote about how Florida, in order to be competitive in this game, is going to need to improve their recruiting. And I do think that Billy Napier has evaluated well the transfer portal. And obviously, if you're following at Swamp 247, the Gators have an extremely promising recruiting class coming in next year, currently ranked number three in the nation. And if they can do what they did last year, which is keep that class together, despite a 507 win finish, you know, I do think that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic moving forward, but right now it, there exists a talent gap between these two teams. That is undeniable in my mind. When you are a defending national champion, you have a little more leverage at landing high caliber players in the transfer portal. Like I said, they did that last year with Dominic Lovett, getting him from Missouri, but regardless, there is a talent gap between Florida and Georgia right now. And that's not to disparage any Florida players out there because I, I'm not going to say that they're not capable of winning this game because as Billy Napier said, he certainly believes that they could have played better and, and that they could have coached better in this contest. But the line that stands out to me that Billy Napier said after the game was that when you have a little bit less talent or a considerable less talent, you have a smaller margin of error. So, failing to convert on fourth down, getting a punt blocked for a safety, fumbling the ball, you know, that is absolutely going to decrease your chances of winning a game like this. And and a team like Georgia does not make an abundance of mistakes, really. And so when you do that, you're going to take yourselves out of the contest. And I think that that may be one of these unspoken realities for this contest is that Florida would have had to play a perfect game. And that is so hard to come by in my mind in order to be competitive in this one that it kind of was like rubbing it in the faces of Florida fans how far this program still has to go from a talent acquisition standpoint in order to be a competitive team. Do you agree with that? I I mean, the talent gap, I know we follow recruiting. How big of a factor was that in your mind? Because when I watched this game, I thought that that absolutely was very apparent. I mean, it's not just talent. Obviously, we mentioned Lad McConkey, a former three-star guy who was able to have more receiving yards than anyone on Florida's offense. I mean, I think he only came into the game with 107 receiving yards and ends up doubling his total for the season in this game. So obviously the development aspect, the system that they've installed at Georgia as well can maybe lead to some criticism where Florida's at and needing to improve that regard. But overall, the recruiting is a massive thing in my mind. And obviously Billy Napier can't make that up overnight. There is no summer signing window yet, but it it comes down to in my mind, the talent gap here. Am I off base in thinking that that is a massive aspect in this contest? I mean, of course it is. And I, and I don't think anybody's denying that either. I, I, I think that it's clear that the number one team in the country, which has been the 20 weeks now standing 
number one team in the country and the back-to-back national champion is going to undeniably have more talent than a team like Florida, which is not in a good place as a program and just fired a coach in Dan Mullen, who was, you know, infamous for lackadaisical recruiting and poor roster management skills. And then you hand a lot of that over to Billy Napier and, you know, we're a year and a half removed from him taking over what a lot of people acknowledge to be, you know, really a disaster in terms of the roster makeup and the talent that was stockpiled at the university of Florida. And so of course there is a disparity between the talent of, you know, the Georgia team that I just named and the Florida team that I just named. And I don't think that, you know, anybody who's not going to acknowledge that uh, when discussing the outcome of this game, I think it's a very, very short sighted view uh, of, of really what's going on. Now, that being said, I, I think it's something that's good and healthy and necessary to acknowledge when we discuss this game, but I think that there's a difference between having expected Florida to win, which falls into the same category of ridiculousness, in my opinion, as somebody who wouldn't acknowledge the talent gap in the contest, uh, versus expecting Florida to go out and look as or more competitive as it did against Georgia last year. There were moments well prior to the expiration of the game in which it looked like it was going to be slim, but maybe, just maybe, if things went perfectly, Florida would be able to capitalize on momentum and mount some sort of comeback and get itself back into the contest against the Bulldogs. I can confidently tell you that at no point from minute 60 through the end of the game when the clock hit double zeros that I felt like this game was going to be close at all. Maybe within the first 30 seconds when Florida was able to march down the field efficiently and get a touchdown did I feel like perhaps Florida would have a chance outside. Side of that, it was a complete washing of the floor with the Gators. And I think that that is where the disappointment is generated. So look, do I, do I think that there is an obvious talent disparity that needs to be acknowledged? Absolutely. And Florida has a long way to go before it can be reasonably expected to compete with the Georgias of the world that have been stockpiling and developing talent for years and years on end at an elite level. Of course, and, and Florida will need to do that more than just in the 2024 class where it does have, you know, a really good group of, of incoming potential freshmen providing that they sign. It will take years of that or that plus years of transfer portal recruiting and, and putting together rosters, uh, you know, over multiple recruiting cycles to get to the point where we, where we see Georgia at right now. That being said, I also think that it would be, Uh, unfair to pin all of this on just a talent gap. I think that there can be disappointment while still expecting Florida to have maybe lost that game, which like you and I talked about, Graham, none of us were expecting Florida to win. That was never our expectation. If you go to Swamp 247, we have it in writing every single week what our staff score predictions are. And one through four of our staff members picked Georgia to win that game. And there's a reason for that because Georgia was the clear better team entering play, even without Brock Bowers. And from for all 60 minutes of that contest, it proved that to be the case. That being said, I expected Florida to look more competitive with the talent that it has right now under Billy Napier. And the fact that there is supposed to be uh, some steady signs of improvement over time. Uh, I, I can't confidently say that we saw that. And I do understand where there's a high volume of Florida fans at the moment who are disappointed uh, in this most recent result. And there have been some people who respond to that with, well, look at the talent gap. And and to those people, I say, you're not wrong. There is a huge talent gap and it, it is worth talking about. But the other side of the argument isn't wrong either. I think that there's a world in which you can be 
disappointed with the results that you're getting on the field right now, while also having a some some confidence that the team is building in the right direction from a recruiting standpoint, just given what Billy Napier has been able to do, uh, you know, in the, in the high school class on the high school side where they rank so well, uh, and and also, you know, just needing time and taking some solace in the fact that there will be years of development, you know, removing Florida from where Georgia is now. So uh, it's kind of a, a long-winded answer, but but in summary here, I, I can understand where everybody's coming from in this instance. I, I, I hear the people who say that there's a talent gap and how much that's a problem, but I equally understand and hear where people are coming from when they say, I wish we got more, I wish it was more competitive uh, in a game against an arch rival. I think all of that is is true and very valid at this point in Florida season. Yeah, to give Billy Napier a little credit here, you know, they assembled this current roster, the majority of players that compete right now for this team, they brought in. And so Billy Napier wasn't going to pull a, a Pat Narduzzi and come out here and say, we thought we'd brought in good players. And that wasn't the case. He said, as I mentioned, that this team was capable of competing with Georgia. He thought that they could play better. And he also said that he thinks that they can coach better as a staff. And, and I think that that second part is as valid as the talent gap. So I agree with your answer that it is not just a one situation or the other. I do think that it is a complex answer here. And there have already been calls throughout the season for Billy Napier to assess the construction of his coaching staff in the offseason. We've said on Swamp 247 that we don't anticipate any staff changes happening in the middle of the year. I think that that is, that is readily apparent, right? I mean, you really only do that if the coach is on the hot seat and is trying to save their job. And that's not, that's not the current situation in Gainesville here. Any changes that Florida can make for its coaching staff are going to have to come after the season is over. If they're going to maybe get an offensive play caller here or examine who is, you know, coaching their offensive line, whatever it is moving special forward teams. Yes. Yeah, whether it's special teams. teams, you know, we, we hardly talked about special teams, but I don't think I need to, beat a dead horse here because we already mentioned the block punt we you know we've gone through it time and time again this season but there are certainly some some things that Florida can assess and potentially change in the offseason but part of the frustration in my mind is that there's little that you can do about that during the season it's kind of like you have to take your lumps right now and just get through it right and I've also touched on this you know as much as we talk about the talent gap or I talk about the talent gap and you know, the, the need to give coaches several years. If you look around the SEC, you look at Tennessee, you look at obviously how Kirby Smart had Georgia competing for a national championship in year two, right? When you look at how coaches have been able to be competitive in year two, I think that can add a little bit to the frustration that a lot of people are feeling in the Florida fan base right now, knowing that this is not going to be a situation where you instantly become a competitor in the conference like some of your rivals are. And, and that can lead to some, some frustration looking in your neighbor's backyard and saying, well, well, why not me? And, you know, I sympathize with people out there. That is never an easy thing to go through. It's not easy for the players, obviously, as well, because they have to hear it and face the, the noise. But that is the reality for Florida right now. There are promising things absolutely on the horizon. But I do think that anyone who says, that this year could have been more competitive if some changes had been made after last offseason. I do think that they have a valid point as well. I'm, I'm not trying to say that those complaints are not valid in any way. So it definitely is a situation where Florida 
is is left just kind of licking their wounds after this game. And at the same time, they don't have any immediate answers in my mind. I know you mentioned the right side of the offensive line improving is, you know, from a play calling perspective. Those things, I think, can help you a little bit, but they're not going to lead to an overnight elevation of the ceiling. And, and obviously with the games left that Florida has to play, and, and we're going to talk about one of them on Thursday here when we return for the next episode of the Swamp 247 podcast to talk about a team who is reeling right now, did make an in-season coordinator change, firing Dan Enos as their offensive coordinator, a 2-6 and six Arkansas team. You know, that is, I think, absolutely how bad, um, you know, th- this thing, you know, could be. Um, but Florida's not there yet, obviously. They, they have a lot of promising things on the horizon. Staff changes, if they do occur, are not going to happen during this season. And at the same time, they're going to look to be competing with a bunch of ranked opponents, right, after Arkansas, playing LSU, going to Missouri, going to LSU, obviously, and then playing Florida State at home. Three teams that are, are you know, are very competitive in my mind. Two of those teams have a Heisman Trophy winner, and one of those teams is led by a quarterback that has a new coordinator. And, you know, Eli Drinkwitz gave up play calling duties after last season, and you're seeing the benefit there. So maybe that can maybe, you know, rub it in Florida fans' faces a little bit more about uh, what happens if you do do that. But as for right now, the Gators are just going to have to look to improve on a week-to-week basis with what they have and see if they can bounce back from here. The, the worst thing that they want to do is let this loss lead to a – you know, rest of the way for the season, lower le- level of competition. I mean, obviously there's still a lot to play for from bowl eligibility. The last thing you want is to lose to this Razorbacks team that had to, like I said, fire one of their 10 on-field assistant coaches. That would absolutely be a lot worse than losing to the number one ranked team in the nation, especially at home. So I think that there's an opportunity for a bounce back here, but right now I think this game was a very good indication of the work the Gators still have to do and and how much of a gap there is, not just in talent, but in terms of system, coaching staff, construction, whatever you want to call it, that exists between Florida and Georgia. And I know that it is just a tough pill for a lot of Florida fans to swallow. And we've certainly seen that those reactions for the past 72 hours since the contest, but we're not going to rub it in anyone else's faces anymore. We're going to go ahead and get out of here and call it a wrap on this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. Before we jump out of here, though, I want to give everyone in Gainesville a heads up. If you are a Florida basketball fan, I hope you've been enjoying Jacob Runder's coverage over at Swamp 247. Does an incredible job covering the Florida basketball team. If you've been following his work, you know that Florida plays their orange and blue scrimmage on Thursday. If you followed that last year you know it's not going to be a a straight up 40 minute competitive scrimmage it's kind of like an all-star game and you're going to get a chance to see the the current roster uh, a few things that that this team is capable of doing the rebuilt front court the rebuilt back court obviously the improvements of the returning pieces like will richard riley kugel denzel aberdeen a lot to look forward to if you're a florida basketball fan it really all starts thursday before the gators open the season next monday against loyola maryland we'll have a ton of coverage from that make sure you don't miss it but that's going to do it for us for this episode of the swamp 247 podcast for jacob rudner i'm graham hall we'll see you next time